Well, great to see you all here. <coughs> um, I, uh, that first song, um, I got to choose the music because of being a bit self-indulgent. That's uh, been very much a theme of mine, particularly uh, over the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it's good to have that. Anyway, my job here is done. Uh, my task at DPC complete. Have I done everything perfectly? No way I'm going to, uh, going to claim that. Uh, is there anything else I could do? Well, yes. But I think what God brought Karen and I here to do was to help transition, to enable uh, the transition of a very healthy church after the very long and significant ministry of the Tuckers uh, with some tiredness and issues coming out of vacancy and, who knew, COVID along the way, to see a new settled ministry in place. Uh, and that's happened. Karen and I are enormously encouraged to see where DPC sits right now uh, and feel we can leave knowing that you are in good hands with Dave and the elders and the new ministry team on the way and the clear support that you've all shown and for the new vision uh, taking up the financial challenge with that. My job here is done. But our job is not done. Uh, the job that Jesus has given to each of his disciples, not just paid pastors, but every follower of Jesus, including retired pastors, our job is not done. There's still work to do. You still have work to do. Karen and I still have work to do. It's all wrapped up in what Jesus said to, in our New Testament reading from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. When the risen Lord Jesus said to the 11 disciples gathered there, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mission that Jesus has for his disciples not just the 11 gathered there, but every disciple of Jesus. Not just pastors or missionaries or paid ministry workers, but every disciple of Jesus. The mission to make Jesus known so that more people become his disciples and to help each other grow as disciples, learning from Jesus. That's your mission, your task, your job if you're a disciple of Jesus. And it's still my job and Karen's job as we leave you. That's why I've chosen for my very last sermon with you to skip over a couple of psalms from Psalm 93 that we looked at last week to Psalm 96. For the new song that Psalm 96 calls us to sing is a song of mission, proclaiming God's salvation, declaring his glory among the nations, and making, uh, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. As Jesus leads us in singing this psalm, we will proclaim his salvation, we will pronounce his reign, and so we will prepare his coming. So let's look at it together, but first let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us through the Psalms, and we ask that you would make yourself known to us now through Psalm 96 and inspire us to fulfill the mission that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing to the Lord, Psalm 96 begins. Three times it drives out that rhythm. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. This psalm is a call to worship, a call to join voices in the praise of God. It may be a touch ironic then that uh, to fo we're focusing on this psalm when public health orders prevent us from singing. But as we'll see, the praise that is called for 
while I'm sure singing is part of it, is much more than joining voices in song. It's about all of life. It's about joining hearts and wills to praise in the praise of God. Uh, Particularly, we should note the spread of worship that is called for. It's not just for Israel. It's not limited to one any one nation. It's for the whole world. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. Do you hear that broadened focus? God's glory is to be declared not just within Israel, but among the nations. His deeds are to be made known among all peoples. All the earth is to sing this song. So God's salvation needs to be proclaimed daily. Ash says the reason this song is new is not so much because of its content as by reason of its growing band of newly recruited singers, its growing choir. It's about the global reach of God's rule. It's a call for God's people to make his salvation known. The reason is given in verses 4 to 6. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. Uh, uh, But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Here's why God's salvation needs to be proclaimed among the nations, because Israel's God is the only true God. And and the so-called gods of the nations are nothing. The key words are that the Lord is to be feared above all gods, because the gods of the nations are no gods at all. They are nothing but idols. And there's a play on words there that translation can't pick up. The word gods that finishes verse 4 is Elohim, And the word idols that finishes the next line is Elilim, which literally means nobodies. The nation's gods are nobodies. The nation's gods are nobodies. They have no power to save, no power to rule, no real power that should cause fear. Uh, It's only the Lord who should be feared. Uh, For as verse 6 describes him, well, it's an awe-inspiring vision. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. The Lord is to be feared. Terror, if you're in rebellion from him, or if you know his salvation in Christ. For the Lord is the awe-inspiring true God. The so-called gods of the nations are nobodies. That's why the salvation needs to be proclaimed, why his glory needs to be declared among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples, because they are lost to idols. They are worshipping nobodies. Now, with the Hindu celebration of Diwali this week, which is associated with a variety of Hindu gods, we can be very aware of many people around us worshipping various gods of the nations. And I know that uh, some of you have come from other religious backgrounds and may even have family or friends who have household shrines to other gods or visit the temple or whatever. But you know, everybody, whatever their ethnic or religious background, has idols in their life. They may be different kind of idol, a much more subtle and insidious kind of false god which dominates the Western world. Their worship is not in temples or household shrines, 
But these idols uh, have devoted followers whose lives are shaped around them, who at times live in fear because of their idols. Idols like money and possessions, self-reliance or self-righteousness, career and achievement, pleasure and comfort, sexuality and identity, self and family. Not necessarily bad things in themselves. Many are good things, but they become God things when they become the central focus of life. So you see, the peoples, the nations of this psalm are all around us and they're lost without knowledge of the true God. And God calls us to proclaim his salvation to the peoples, not just nations overseas, not just different cultures, but in our own neighbourhood, in our own friendship groups and family. God is inviting all the earth to join the choir singing this new song. And so he calls us to proclaim his salvation, to declare his glory and his marvellous deeds to everyone we can. That's the job we have to do. That's the mission God has given us to sing this new song, seeking to see others join the choir. Another threefold repetition introduces the next stanza, which gives a focus to the goal of this mission, the reason to proclaim his salvation, why idolatry needs to be exposed, which is by pronouncing the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God's goal is for all the families of nations to acknowledge their creator and judge. God wants all the world to recognise his reign, to see God's glory, to understand his strength, He wants all the earth delighting in him, worshipping him, trembling in awe before him. That's the goal. Because the Lord reigns. He is sovereign over his creation. It's firmly established under his rule. He brought it into being and he ultimately will judge it. Not just the people that he's called his own, but all people's. He'll do so justly, he'll do so fairly, but he will judge. He is worthy of all praise. That's the goal of his creation. Now you might remember from last week that this section of Psalms 93 to 100 focus on God as king. The Lord reigns is repeated four times in this section. It began the section as the first words of Psalm 93 and it's then repeated here in Psalm 96 verse 10 as well as later in Psalms 98 and 99. So Psalm 93 began this focus on God as king. Psalm 94 then concentrated on the aspect of judgment in God's rule. Psalm 95 then called Israel to worship and not to be like their ancestors in the wilderness who rebelled from God's rule. And now Psalm 96 broadens the focus from God as king of Israel to God as king of all the earth, all nations, all peoples. Israel's God is the one and only true God who rules the world. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that the expression, the Lord reigns, connects these psalms to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, which is the only other place in the Old Testament where that expression, the Lord reigns, occurs. 
Well, Psalm 96 has many other expressions from the song of praise in 1 Chronicles 16 as well. It seems to have been modelled on or a model for 1 Chronicles 16, 23 to 33, which is in 1 Chronicles as part of a song sung by the Levites to celebrate the ark, the throne of God containing the law of God, settling into its home in Jerusalem. A celebration, therefore, of God coming to rule his people. And with its connections to 1 Chronicles 16, perhaps Psalm 96 was sung when the ark was brought into Jerusalem. More likely, it was sung as the people looked back to that great event. The, the books of Chronicles are from after the exile. So, so I imagine it possibly being sung at the dedication of the rebuilt temple as they recaptured the idea of the Lord ruling from Jerusalem. But with the later arrival into Jerusalem, the very significant entry into Jerusalem of the Lord Jesus and what has become known as Palm Sunday, next slide please, Jono, um, uh, riding as king on a donkey so as to deliberately fulfil prophecy and claim the throne of David, riding in knowing that he was facing the cross, the means of salvation for the world, riding in committing to see his father's glory declared to all peoples. Well, with that event, we we see this psalm taking on a new significance for us. For we recognise Jesus as the king. So as we sing Psalm 96, led by the Lord Jesus, we will join him in pronouncing his reign. We will look to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we get a glimpse of that in Revelation, the revelation God gave his apostle John with a vision of a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshipping the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. But let's be clear, this call to worship him, to ascribe the glory due his name, to bring offerings and tremble before him, well, it's clearly not about some rote liturgy. Uh, It's not empty words or meaningless sacrifices. As Alan Harmon puts it, this praise must be more than mere words. Suitable attitudes and actions are required as well. It's not just about what we might, hap- what might happen at, at a temple. It's about all of life. It's not just a song to sing. It's a life to live. For when King Jesus began his mission on earth, he sh- reshaped the call of Psalm 96. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, that's what it means to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. It is to call people to recognise God, to acknowledge him as king, to know that he will judge the world, to ascribe to him the glory due his name, to bow before him, to turn from rebellion from his rule and embrace the salvation that he offers in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul teases it out further in Romans 12. After gloriously outlining the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ, he, joy, he looks at what worshipping God really looks at, looks like. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your 
uh, true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. See, the goal is a world transformed, a world that acknowledges their king, who repent and believe and seek God's will. And so much did God want that, that he sent Jesus, who didn't just ride into Jerusalem to claim his throne, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our rebellion. He died the death that we deserve to die. He took the judgment of God upon himself and he rose triumphant, ascending to God's right hand. He sent his spirit to enable us to repent and believe. And so now he is enthroned in heaven until he returns. Which brings us to the last part of Psalm 96, which with its invitation of all creation to celebrate this coming as, as judge. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now, there's been great rejoicing this week when little four-year-old Cleo Smith was found alive and well, 18 days after being abducted from her family's tent in the Blowholes campground near Carnarvon in Western Australia. Her parents were ecstatic. Uh, So were the police who'd searched for her, so hard for her. Uh, So was the entire town of Carnarvon. Indeed, the whole nation rejoiced. Even overseas, in international news reports, there are expressions of joy. For we had feared the worst for 18 days. And now she's found, back with her family, things are right again. So rejoicing spread in outward ripples from her family and town, through our nation and throughout the world. And this final stanza of Psalm 96 describes an even bigger spread of joy for an even greater restoration. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord for he comes He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is what it's all about. This is where it's all heading when the Lord Jesus returns to set things right as judge of the earth, ruling the world in righteousness, treating the people faithfully. Now, some people get hung up on this idea of judgment, but you have to understand it as restoration The world has been broken by sin, by rebellion from God's righteous rule. And the psalm makes it clear that the world judges with equity, with fairness. He is righteous and faithful and he will set things right. I mean, we delight in seeing little Cleo rescued and we hope for just judgment on the one who abducted her. It may be tempered by mercy when his story is known, but we don't want him to just get away with doing such a terrible thing. Justice must be served for things to be made right. And so it is on a grander scale as Jesus comes as judge. And that's not all. The wonderful thing is that he has already been 
not as judge, but as saviour. And he took upon himself the judgment that we deserve, that I deserve, that you deserve, for the ways that we've rebelled from his rule, for the nobody idols that we have allowed to capture our hearts. And that salvation is available for all by grace. If we grab hold of Jesus by faith, the judgment is passed. But if we continue to rebel from God's rule, to fear other gods and worship other idols, we're lost. So the call of this psalm is to prepare for his coming by pronouncing his reign, by proclaiming his salvation, inviting lost people to sing this new song, to join the choir led by Jesus, to to, to join us in the choir led by Jesus, to join us in ascribing the glory that is his due, worshipping him in the splendour of his holiness, trembling in awe, rejoicing in all of creation, in all he is for us in Jesus. That's our job, our mission, your ongoing mission here at DPC and Karen's and my mission as we move on from here. And, you know, we may not be able to literally sing this song together at the moment, but what a golden time this is to invite others in the worship of God in declaring Jesus as Lord and Saviour. For you at DPC, you're beginning a new era with Dave and soon Janet and Andrew as a pastoral team and the elders with a wonderfully single-minded focus on the gospel with Narilla and Shami and the committee doing a great job of administering things, with existing ministries like Playgroup and DY connecting with the community and new ideas bubbling to the surface. The, the church is in great shape to really begin a new, new thrust of reaching out. And our community is ready for it. COVID has shown the world our weakness. It has made clear that this world is broken and that death is ever-present. And it has given people a hunger for more, for community, for connection and for answers to the big questions. So it's time to sing this new song. It's time to prepare for the Lord's coming, to pronounce his reign, to proclaim his salvation, to build his kingdom. The English evangelist Rico Tice, who wrote the evangelistic program Christianity Explored, sees a golden opportunity as the world emerges through COVID. He talks of building back better. In a recent interview on the pastor's heart, he explained, as we build back better, remember God is sovereign and has put you where he's put you. Let's just remind ourselves that you are the most important person that they know because you know Jesus and life is about Jesus and God placed you there. And I think what COVID has done is that people have got to know their neighbours and it's saying, can you not see that God has sovereignly put you here? Now reach out because he's the evangelist. Your job is to get alongside what he is doing. So let's be part of the choir that Jesus is leading, inviting others to join in this new song. Karen and I, as we move to Winona and get to know the new neighbourhood, and you here at DPC as you begin a new era. Now I'm excited about what God is doing here and will continue to do. And I'm thankful for the partnership in the gospel that we have shared over these five years. And I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So keep singing this new song. 
Keep proclaiming salvation day by day. Keep pronouncing his reign, his kingdom. Keep preparing for his coming. For that's the job he's given each one of us to do. That's the new song that he calls us to sing. Let's pray. Lord God, our creator and our judge, we recognise your sovereign rule of this world and we rejoice in the salvation that you have wrought for us by grace. Enable us to have an impact for your kingdom here in Dremoyne and to the ends of the earth for the glory that is due your name. Amen.